Today's scripture is Colossians 3, verses 5 through 11. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is in all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Man, thanks be to God. Uh, th- thank you, Jill. Thank you, worship team. And uh, thank you, AV team over there. We've had some hiccups, and you all are, uh, are, are on it. Yeah, let's actually just thank them. Thank the people that are serving. Yes, we. it takes a lot to make uh, this service happen in a school and like this, and um, yeah, I'm just glad we can be here together. So good morning. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad to be here with you and to be but back from uh, um, India, and uh, just, yeah, it's so good to be home, if you will. Um, and I want to let you know if you're new or you've never heard me preach before that I have a speech impediment, and it'll kind of come in and out. As I, as I preach. And so I just want to make sure that you know what that is and uh, where that's all coming from. So you're not distracted. So we can focus on the most important thing, which is hearing from God and his word, um, especially in what we're talking about this morning. But before I get there, before we get there, um, go ahead and turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. If you have a copy of God's word with you or an app or something like that. If you don't, though, we would love to get you one. So um, please hold your hand up and keep it up, and we will get you a, a Bible. So if you don't own it, um, this is our gift to you. We would love for you to keep this and take it home and to read and understand. So hold your hand up high, keep it up, and we will get you one. We also have them in Spanish as well if you, uh, if you prefer that. All right, and now um, let me just share uh, a couple things that are coming up here soon, okay? So uh, next Sunday, no, the 4th, February 4th, that is next Sunday, we will be, um, I'm all out of whack here. I just, like I said, got back from India. Here we are. This is the second service, which I'll explain a little bit about. But um, next week, after the second service, so at 11 a.m., um, after that service, we will have a, uh, a time to hear from those of us that went to India. It was um, Paul B- Bell. We got a slide up here. Paul Bell and my wife, Kira, and that's me, my ugly mug. We're eating coconuts and, um, and uh, actually drinking coconuts. And we'll tell you all about our time there. We're excited for it. So um, I don't want to overpromise, under-deliver, but I'm pretty sure we're going to have pizza, so authentic Indian food. Um, now, we'll have some pizza there, and that will be um, over in that, uh, that other building there across the campus. So that's next week after the second service. And also, starting next week, we'll be kicking off a new series in Esther. And so we'll be in that all the way going up until Easter. And so again, starting next week, we'll be there. And now this week, we're wrapping up a series that we've been in for the last few weeks about Christian maturity, growing in what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and that who he is and what he's done informs and shapes us and everything about us and about how we live our lives. And so we've been um, in this again the last few weeks. We've been looking at some very practical things. Pastor Marcus did a great job um, really preaching through those things. And we kind of intentionally skipped this section so we can hit on it and talk about it today to wrap up this series. Because um, it, it, it gets, I think, more pointedly at um, how and what it looks like to really follow Jesus in all of life. It has to do with how we relate with ourselves and with others. And um, just like 
out of the gates, I want to put this out there for us, is that though God created us to know him, to flourish in him as his people, to have everything about who we are and what we do flow from him, um, we, and I would say as the church, like as a whole, and we specifically, um, so often don't live lives that would reflect what we often confess is that we find life in Jesus. That, that everything, not just life, like eternal life, but life, where we find life, where we derive and, and find our hope and, our, and our, our, our confidence and our identity, that that is in Christ, so often it does not, um, that's not what we reflect. Or even more importantly, how we operate or where we live. Jesus came to give us life, and yet so often we actually walk in places of death. And so I want to ask us, church, each of us individually, before I pray in a moment, to just consider. Let me ask you this question. Um, do you live life to the fullest in and with Jesus? Or do you walk in places of death. Again, in your heart, in the, in the quiet, in the stillness, in your interactions with others, in your relationships. Does the fullness and the gift of life that Jesus has given, does that shape and define you? Now, before, again, I pray, I want to actually give you a, a heads up. You may have gotten the, uh, the email that we sent out um, that this is somewhat of a PG-13 um, sermon, if you will. We're going to talk a lot about sex and uh, uh, sexual uh, immor immorality. And um, R's and L's are the worst for me, by the way, with this cutter. So it's not that I'm like afraid to say the words. It's just, I, they just happen to have R's and L's in them a lot. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it's a creative pause that God pulls the strings on. I have no control over. But, um, it's again, I just want to say that, and I also want to acknowledge that this is uh, often, and, and even in the first service certainly was, it's, it's a heavy subject, and it could be even triggering, potentially painful, maybe hopefully in some ways for most of us convicting as well, but, but I hope and pray that it's, it's full of life and, and hope and ultimately freedom. In, in Christ. And this is, uh, again, a subject, though, that we absolutely need to hear from God in and, and to be set free regarding. And so I, I, we gave that, by the way, when I say like PG-13, um, if you're not 13 or your kids aren't 13, we would have our kids at whatever age here in this for, for that. Um, I think this is something that we could and should be talking about in our homes, in our redemption communities, in our families, with our friends, in different spaces. But we usually don't. And so uh, we're just going to rip the band-aid off here and talk about it uh, at great length. On that note, this is the second service. First service, I went long. Might be even longer this one. We'll see. No, but I think it's, again, a subject that I am confident um, God has significant things to say to us in. So let's pray together and ask for his, his help. Lord Jesus, thank you that... Um, you love us way too much than to sit silently and idly by while we stumble and flounder in places of death, in struggle, and shame, in so often um, hopelessness. Uh, Lord, I pray that um, as we always say or pray here as pastors, as we preach, there's a sense of fear because we know that... Um, you have entrusted to us your dear, precious sheep, your children, your bride, your flock. Um, Lord, I, I know that we all need to hear from you. Uh, I trust that, that you say that the, though the grass withers and the flower fades, the word of our God endures forever. That, that the word of God, the Bible, is sharper than any sword that can cut through the, the walls that we have in many ways necessarily built up to protect ourselves. But Lord, you are good and you're trustworthy. And so I pray that you will cut through like a surgeon and, and heal the wounds and expose the lies and lead us into the truth of hope 
and life in its full. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's kick it off right here. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now, you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. So in these few verses there, depending on how you count, there are about 11. Um, I'll just say 12 because that's easier to say. No, it's, there are about 11 um, commands of what to flee from, of what to avoid, of what to not live into. And uh, this, this is because, again, Jesus says, this is where life is found. And I have called you out of the darkness into life, into the light, out of death and into life. And this is where life is found. And this, um, this was written to a church under the Roman Empire. And, 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 and he's saying, you have been set apart. I have called you. I have created you to flourish and to thrive as, as something and someone and a group of people that are altogether different. But in Rome, um, sexual relationships and sexual identity and the idea of sex is defined by individualism, by, by selfishness, by, 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 by exploitation, by, a, uh, by an exercise of, 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 of power and a misuse of, uh, and, and full of injustice and selfishness and death. But you are different. Anytime we read the Bible and we see the, and probably anything, but I'm not an English teacher or anything like that, but whenever, right, what's the phrase? Whenever you find a therefore, ask, what is it therefore? And so this is flowing out of this whole explanation that you have been called into something else, something different. You have been set apart, and yet they, I think like us, especially regarding sex, um, tend to reflect the world around us more than the set-apart people Jesus has called us to be. And that we operate in, in something, again, that looks like all the things I just said, individualism, um, personal pleasure, exploitation, selfishness. And yet Jesus, in all of life, and specifically with sex, means for it to be um, full of self-giving and, again, holiness and purpose. And it's meant to be a reflection, a picture of something greater than ourselves. It's, it's meant to be um, full of faithfulness. And, and, and again, um, they in the church at Colossae, like many of us, um, reflect the, the, the world, reflect Rome uh, far more than we reflect the life-giving Savior who's come to call us, his people, his own. And, and so um, in those, there of, of those, those things that I mentioned, about five of them or six, depending on how you count them and how you categorize them, have to do with, with sex. And so the church tends to fall into one of two problems. And when I say the church, that includes us, but isn't just us. It's the church. It's evangelical Christianity um, and it includes us, okay? I can't, we can't just stand afar and be like, oh, they out there do this differently. But no, we as well tend to fall into one of two problems. One is we only talk about sex, but when we do, it's a very narrow, specific way that we talk about it, or we never talk about sex. So the first problem, only talk about sex, might look like this. I, um, during a significant part of my life, in my kind of coming-of-age years, I was in the South, and um, I went to a very traditional, Traditional conservative church, and I would hear things like this talked about 
And it would basically be, we're not going to even talk about gluttony or slander or, um, you know, I, I, idolatry or any of these other things. Just We're just going to talk about sex, but just very specifically, um, don't have premarital sex. And, it, it, um, and if you just do that or don't do that, then you're good. Um, just wait and it'll be great was kind of the message. And, and we would, all these other sins are like acceptable sins as though Jesus doesn't care about um, anything else. And, and I would just say again, that is, that is wrong. And we don't want to fall into that trap. How we speak about other people, um, how we relate with the truth. Do we, do we, do we lie? Do we subtly do, do we, all these things, right? And I think when we talk about all of life is all for Jesus, we press into those things a lot. And hopefully, right, we talk about every hobby we have, every song we listen to, everything we say and do and think, right? All, do all to the glory of God and for the good of our neighbor. And, 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 and yet, um, so this morning we're going to, more, we're going to hunker down and more pointedly speak about sex and sexual morality and immorality. If anyone thinks of another word I could use, that'd be great. But otherwise, I'll just be stuck with it. But right, we're going to primarily talk about that because, um, because this is, is, is um, we are, as I said earlier, we are dying. Um, I, I want to say I'm sorry as you're pastor, as one of the pastors here, but as someone who, you know, preaches consistently and stuff, like, I'm aware that so often we fail to connect the dots to sex and who we are as sexed people, as, as people created in God's image, as men and women, and that we live in a world that is not the way it should be, and that we, we, we haven't connected the dots to to, to a good and glorious God who wants us to understand all things. And so as we talk about this, I again just want to say my, my tone and the content is more intense than it often is. And um, it's because I love you. And more importantly than that, because God loves you. He's given his life to give you life. Not just salvation, that you go to heaven when you die. That, yes, absolutely. But life, life in the full, where you and I find our life, our hope, our, our identity, our, 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 our sense of being, that it is meant to be fully found in Christ. And yet we are just drinking from polluted wells and Jesus says, I am the, I am the, I give life-giving water. I want so much more for you. And, and, and so that's, um, again, why and how we're talking about this. And so now as we continue on, let me just say this. Um, sex isn't everything. But more and more, I believe it's connected to almost everything. It's, again, so much of the world we're in and just how we operate. Again, like, it is not an accident that God made us as sexual beings, that sex in gender is so directly connected to everything about who we are, how we see ourselves, how we operate. And then specifically when we talk about um, sexual immorality, um, it, it, it is significant. It's not the only thing, but it's connected to um everything. Look at one passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It says this, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Okay, let me, let me connect for us why, again, the way we've treated sex in the church and outside the church and all this is like, it's this, this separate issue that we either don't talk about it and it's awkward or we do talk about it and it's all through, through it's like disconnected from scripture. But we believe here and, 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 and are convinced that this right here, the Bible, is the true story of the world. 
that, that again, in the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we see a good God, diversity in union, one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when he says, let us make man in our image, he creates mankind. He creates Adam. He intimately forms Adam. And we're told there that he then says it's not good that he is alone. I think not just because he's lonely or he can't procreate, but because how he is reflecting in, in bearing God's image as just a man is, is actually left wanting. It's, it's, it's incomplete. And so God um, puts Adam to sleep and then intimately forms from him a, a helper, a helpmate, um, a, a necessary ally, Eve, and he breathes life. And we're told they're both naked and not ashamed, naked physically and emotionally and relationally in every way. It's the way it should be. But then when we rebel against God and we turn our backs and we say, we'll figure out life our way, we rebelled against him. We fell. We moved from life into death and everything was impacted, including specifically sex, sexual relationships, sexual identity. There's now shame. There's now discord. Again, there's now abuse of power. There's selfishness. And then when Jesus, fully God and fully human, comes crashing into this world, he comes as a man. He lives this life the way it was designed to be lived. He has power, all power in heaven and earth. He has all the authority, and yet he constantly, time and time again, lays it down. He constantly takes the lower road. He, he serves others. And by the way, I'll come back to this in a moment, but he comes as a, a single man from our perspective. But then we, we learn, actually, that he has a bride, his church. Every man and woman who he calls his own, who would come into relationship with him, that we corporately make up his bride. And then the language that's used for the end when Jesus returns once and for all and makes all things new is consummation. He unifies heaven and earth. God is now with his people. And things are the way it should be. Amen. And when Jesus hangs on the cross... He hangs, I just actually read this morning, he hangs as a naked man, stripped of clothing, of covering. He's in, in the primary, though, we always think of pain, and it was incredibly painful, but shame is like the dominant reality. And Jesus takes all of that on himself. And he says, it is finished. And he dies. He breathes his last. And so he, he, he dies. And in so doing, he puts death and all the impacts of death to death. And then he raises victoriously from the dead into life. And now he says, come to me and I will give you life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Again, no one is saved, but also no one experiences life the way it's meant to be lived except through Jesus. So when we talk about sexual immorality, church, um, it's not because it's like, don't do this. Uh, just wait and it'll be great, you know, one day, which we'll come back to. It's not just like, hey, obey these laws. It's like, no, I hope right now I'm telling you that sex is not everything. And yet when we see that it's connected to something even bigger, it gives it even more value and more worth and more beauty because it's, it's a part of something even greater. It's directly connected to the entire story of God. And I grieve sometimes in pre-marriage counseling when I have conversations with, with, with people who have maybe even grown up in the church and have no idea how sex is connected to the bigger story of God and to faith in Jesus. That, that grieves me. So as we continue on now and we talk about sexual immorality and living out sex in our sexual lives and sexual selves, in, I, I hope and pray that it's, 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 it's an invitation into something so much greater and so much bigger 
that, that God's love is so significant for us that we're, that, we're, that we're led to maybe confession and repentance, but also uh, hope and, and, and newness and freedom and joy. So let's define some terms here. Sexual immorality, the word I cannot say. Uh, wh what does that mean? What do I mean by that? Um, here's a definition I kind of stumbled upon. I, I read some different scholars and authors, and this was specifically from one um, scholar that my friend Gary Nebaker got me connected with, uh, Scott McKnight, and he kind of puts some things, and this is what I kind of der derived from that. Sexual activity, both physical and em emotional, outside of covenantal marriage. Now, I, I'm not here to answer every question, by the way, and I actually acknowledge that this, um, in a good way, I think probably leaves us with lots of questions. Wait, sexual activity, both physical and um, emotional, well, how do you, like, just go from single to married? Is there any process along the way? Like, you need to grow in relationship with someone, and there's a, there's a developing of intimacy, and what does that look like? And Again, I don't have all the answers for this, um, but, but I, I also trust if we're followers of Jesus, he's given us the spirit, he's given us community, he's given us th the word um, to, to kind of measure by and to weigh. Um, and this is, it's, it's more of a relationship we're called into than absolutely do this, don't do that. Um, that said, I will say this. I think um, we walk way, way closer to the, edge of the cliff, then um, we would fall in the other direction and be too prudish or too careful. A good, a good question, I just, this is something my wife and I really walked through, is this. Um, if you were to whoever you're dating or even engaged to at some point, if you were to not marry that person and you were to meet their future spouse or they were to meet your future spouse, could you be in a Bible study together? Could you shake their hand and meet them and know that you honored God and honored them and honored their marriage and their relationship with how you navigated your relationship with them? I just think that's a helpful question and maybe a way even to kind of, to kind of walk through this, this great. Again, there's so much more here to be said, but that's an important definition. Sexual morality, sexual activity, right? Outside the covenantal marriage. So now, what, okay, what's that word, covenant? What does that have to do with anything? Let me share a definition I stumbled upon. This was actually two guys sort of disagreeing with each other in some way. And so, um, as pastors can sometimes do, I just took it all and kind of melded it together. And um, no, this is what, what I think a helpful definition of covenant, which again, Professor Nebuchadnezzar, I was surprised to learn how few people are willing to actually give a definition of covenant because it's this loaded idea and loaded conversation. And some would say it's the central theme of all of scripture or it's the backbone of all of scripture or something. But I'll just say this, that at the very least, it's massively important. And so here is what covenant is, a relationship between two parties involving binding promises, promises that are made that bind you together. Most specifically this morning, I just want to help us understand the covenant of Christ, the relationship you have when you're invited to put your faith in in Jesus, and you follow him, and you surrender to him. His, the covenant is Jesus saying, I've given my life so that you may have life. I'm calling you now to follow me, and even whether or not you obey, and is not, this isn't contingent upon what you do. What I have already done for you is, 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 is completely my doing, says Jesus, it's undeserved favor. That's what the word grace means. And I will lavish upon you life and freedom and gifts and goodness. And in response to what I've done for you, you will now be empowered by the Holy Spirit whom I will send, who's a sealing, a seal, not like a ceiling, but a seal um, of your faith, of this relationship, of this covenant. And now you just get to live and thrive and flourish 
as my follower, my friend, my child, my bride. Okay, this is, this is covenant. And it's important, again, because we understand, I, I don't know how many of us even in this room, I'm not going to ask for a show of hand, but would think of like, what does covenant have to do with sex? Everything. As I said earlier, God is a covenantal God. God makes promises to us that we can take to the bank because of who he is. And then when he invites, when he blesses and says, in the covenant of marriage, you get to experience something that is meant to be a signpost, something that's meant to, to, to reflect a picture of my covenant relationship with my people. Jesus, the bridegroom, the husband, laying down his life, his rights for his bride, and his bride then responding to his self-giving love is that covenant and is meant to be a, an experience of that, a picture of that in regard to marriage. Sexual union between husband and wife is, again, is, is given even more dignity because it's a part of something even greater. And so before I just um, go on kind of a, uh, we kind of rip the scab off even more and just talk about this, this polluted water we're drinking in, let me also say something. Young, old, divorced, widowed, single, th this directly speaks to you and to me. Let me share a quote. I've actually shared it a number of years ago from an author, um, Chelsea Erickson. And this is what she says specifically to single people. What if our churches sought to heed Jesus's words and began to debunk the myth of marriage as the ultimate expression of adulthood? What if we cheered on the singles in our communities, encouraging them to treat singleness as the gift that it is portrayed as in scriptures, instead of assuming that their lives must be unfulfilled or on hold. Our value as Christians is not tied to our relationship status or reproductive ability. It's tied to Christ. Again, I just want to speak to all of us here, and, and specifically in this moment to the, 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 our single brothers and sisters. Again, single, not married, single, divorced, single, widowed. You are a necessary, important part of our community. Um, you, we need to be talking about these things and talking about what it means to be faithful um, followers of Jesus with regard to sex and sexuality. Um, in our context, in our multi-generational, uh, eclectic communities. And hear me, um, if you are a follower of Jesus and you're single, one, you're in good company. It, you, Jesus and Paul and many others um, that we can see are, are, are single. And again, it's referred to as a gift. And I'm sorry that our church and the church has just failed to acknowledge that and to even be structured in such a way that, that, that honors that, that truth. But also hear me this, um, hear me this. I don't think I've ever said that phrase, um, which should be followed by the Gettysburgers address or something. Um, okay. Uh, but okay, hear this. Um, you are not missing out on the, the greater picture, the greater reality, the greater experience that we are all marching toward. Sex and sexuality and sexual relationship and sexual intimacy is portrayed as, again, all throughout scripture, something like a trailer or a commercial or an appetizer. But the feast, the meal we get to start participating in now and will one day for all eternity be participating participating in. And I love my wife. I actually said this in the first service. I love my wife. We've been married for 21 and a half years, and we've been together now longer than we were alive apart. And there's so much about our relationship that is good and that I love. Here's the deal. For all eternity, like a little blip, we'll have lived the way we are. For all eternity, we won't be married to each other, and we won't ever have sex again once we die. 
And somehow that's good. I don't fully understand that. That is a mystery and it's meant to be in some way. But the promise of Jesus is again, that is a foretaste. It's a picture of what is even greater that somehow as that our, our intimacy, hear me, as brother and sister in Christ, as fellow bride of Christ, our communal reality of who we are as Jesus's bride will be lived out in even greater joy and um, ecstasy than anything we can know or experience now. And so sex and, and, and marriage are incredibly important, but, but only because they are not ends in themselves, but they point to something greater. Amen? Th- that is good news, and it's so too often uh, or almost never really acknowledged or talked about in, in here. And so now, church, as we rip this scab off of where we are, As I said earlier, just statistically from conversation, just knowing we are in so many ways absolutely floundering. And this is not meant to, again, shame anyone or any of us. Um, We all have stories. We all have families of origin. There has been harm. There's been so much. Uh, And yet also so many lies. And I want to unpack some of those lies. Hopefully I can't do all of them. But again, just know that God's definition of life in general, right, as I just kind of unpacked there for us, but specifically sex and the way that's to be experienced is so much more than what the world says. Like I said at the very beginning, right, like we operate in Rome. It, it, it never fails to fail. I'm telling you, there is not a porn star out there. There's not a person who has indulged. Solomon says it in the Bible, who wrote a good chunk of the Bible. Like, he, he had thousands of wives. Every kind of experience that pornography and everything else could try to tell you and me. And, and he, you know, um, an, another lie we believe is, oh, you have to know your companions. Compatible. I'll get to that in a moment again, but it's like that Solomon had every kind of partner and it was all f- for naught. It was all meaningless, exactly. He was never fulfilled. He died actually likely uh, a, like a, a pagan. He didn't even worship God. God gave him everything and he was so unfulfilled. And I'm telling you from my own family to my own life, any pursuit of fulfillment in life outside of Jesus's design will always, or let me say it this way, will never fail to fail. Every single time. And so Jesus is not a killjoy. He's not an ogre. He's not wanting to keep you and me from all the fun that's out there. He's saying, I know where fun is found. I know where life is found. I know how pleasure is meant to be experienced. Jesus, God created the orgasm. Whoa, we can say that in church. I'm, again, parents, you can talk with your kids. You should talk with your kids. Um, again, this is something that, that it's like it's been hijacked. And it's so important for us to be able to talk about these things in our communities and to go to God's word and to find what he says about all things. I'd say in this moment, especially sex. Um, I've shared this story some before, but many of you are new or haven't heard this before. When I was in high school, again, in the South, um, we were on a trip with the football team. And um, as 16-year-olds will do, we were just talking about all sorts of things. And we started to talk about masturbation. And, um, And in that conversation it came up is you know it a sin should we do it like should we masturbate should we not like is it a sin should, how do, what do we do with this and again a bunch of 16 year olds like we thankfully in that moment knew that we weren't the experts on all things and so um one of my friends his dad was a p- pastor and I was like dude let's ask your d- dad he'll know like he'll it'll be great and yeah some of us are snickering because we know they like looked at me like I was crazy. Like, what? No way are we talking to one of our dads about masturbation. Like that's, and yet as I look back especially, but even in the moment, something about that just occurred to me that was wrong. I'm not from a Christian home and a Christian family and um, my dad at the very end of his life 
rendered his life to Christ, but for like 70 plus years of his life, he was not a Christian. And yet, even in that moment, I knew well, I could talk to my dad, but it probably won't be that helpful for this conversation, but I could fully talk to him. And I'm so thankful for that. But again, just the reality is so many of us, even now in our homes, like that's not the way we operate. I just want to say, parents, it's on us to absorb the awkwardness. And the earlier we do it, the better it goes. The more, the first, again, we kind of rip off the scab and walk through that conversation with our kids when they're seven, eight, nine. Um, you know, it, it then just, I think the conversations in, in, you know, high school, junior high just become a, at least a bit more natural uh, because it's something we've started and we've begun. And, 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 and so let me just, again, some more of the lies that are out there is, um, and I'm so grieved that the way we've operated as a church is that it's disconnected from something bigger and, and, and gr greater, that, that single people, engaged people, um, covenant is everything. That, that a covenant before God where you say, I promise this and this, and the other person says, I promise this and this, and we promise this before God and before our families and before others, and this is the foundation of no matter where we find ourselves, rich or poor, healthy or not, um, laughing or, or, or crying or all these different things, like I will, I, will, I will remain true to you. That is a whisper echoing to the ultimate foundation of Jesus's promise to us. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And there is freedom and security in our walks with Jesus because of his promise to us. And then from there, there is freedom and joy and life and security and power in our covenantal relationship together. And sex outside of that is not good, is not great. Let me say again at the beginning, I mentioned that this whole idea of just wait and then it'll be great, this whole idea, um, yes and no. Okay, no, because again, in like the purity culture that I grew up in kind of was like that. And people, it was a very narrow view and it was like, oh, just don't have sex. And then once you do, it'll be great. And there was actually an article written in a Christian magazine a number of years ago where the, the author um, said, uh, why I wish I hadn't, why I wish I didn't wait. And it was so sad to read the article because, again, it was just like narrow, hollow view. And the idea was, oh, if you wait, then all of a sudden you'll just have sex like you see on the movies and it'll be just like that. And, 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 and it's not like that. But in God's design, just wait and it'll be great is true because he fully redefines great. Built on his covenant, in the context of covenantal marriage, there's space and room for awkwardness, for learning how to do something together, for healing from past wounds, for understanding and vulnerability, for conversation, for conflict and conflict resolution. And then just very practically as it goes on again, the world's definition has, doesn't know what to do with with so much of reality, but in God's definition, um, age, childbirth, disability, physical disability, mental disability, um, the effect of me medication on our bodies, impotence, menopause. In God's design, there is intimacy and vulnerability and joy and pleasure in all of that. It just looks, it can look very different than the very narrow view that we get. But it's so much greater. It's built on a solid foundation. And church, as I prepare to close, I just want to say there is hope. Jesus's love is always available. Jesus's healing it sometimes takes a lot of work. But there are people in here addicted to pornography, um, suffering from past choices or past abuse, fear of the future, 
And just again here, you're not alone. In the body of Christ, in the family of Christ, there are groups. There's a Conquer series dealing with pornography addiction. There's, there's again, community and conversation. There's, there's, there's counseling and therapy we can get you connected to. But the main idea, the main message I want you to hear is that Jesus' mercies are new every morning. That, that he has, has such a deep well the exact opposite of the poison wells that we're so often drinking from, that, 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 we'll, that, that when we drink from it, we want more, but we never need more. It's the water that quenches every thirst. And, and, and again, old, young, single, divorced, widowed, wherever we find ourselves, there is hope. And there's an invitation into healing and into life. So finally... What does this look like in verse 5? Right? I said, we need to wonder, what is the therefore, therefore? Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you? Sexual immorality. What do we do? Put to death. There, there are two ways, first of all, that we put to death. Okay, the first of all is we, we acknowledge that we're in a war for life and death. We, we don't play nice in that kind of w- war, right? If you're, if you're fighting for your life, you take whatever extreme measures need to be taken, all right? Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and throw it away. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it into the fire for it's better that you lose one of your members than for your whole body to be burned, it's, it's extreme measures, like don't play nicely. If you need to smash your computer, you need to get rid of, if you need to have your phone be accountable, be, you need these things like fight to win. Not out of shame, not out of legalism, but, but again, out of the victory Jesus has already given. Like if your house is infested with scorpions, I thought of um, our friends who grew up in Oracle, and um, you don't play nice, right? You don't just spray a little vinegar or some other hippy-dippy kind of a, pro- sorry, uh, kind of, oh, this is going to kill. No, you use like brake fluid or whatever like nuclear things you need to do to, to, to eradicate the scorpions from your home. Like we're in an even greater fight. Like, fight. Don't play nice. But even more importantly, church, let us hear this. That therefore is there because this is something that has already happened. This is a call, a pleading, an invitation to live into who you already are. If uh, you could throw up there verse 3 and 4, just before the therefore for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore. This is, this even in the Greek language, this is a, a tense of what has already happened. Okay, hear me, church. Okay, look at me. You've already been set free. And yet you and I live as though we're still slaves. It's as though we're carrying like, a, like, like shackles, right? And a, a heavy weight and we're shuffling along in our lives and we're drinking from polluted wells and we're, we act as though we've all, we're, we're just enslaved. And yet the, the message, the good news of Jesus is that he has unlocked our shackles once and for all. The key has been thrown away. They cannot be re-shackled. And so fight, In light of the victory you've already been given, Jesus has already set you free and now live into that. And I know it's not just easy, like, okay, good, I'll choose to do that. But hear me, it means, again, fighting this fight uh, alongside others in community, um, daily living into our identity of who we already are. As we prepare to respond, this is directly connected to covenant. If you've not been baptized, I implore you to be baptized if you're a follower of Jesus. Not to check off the box or anything, but because it is a gift from God. It is the seal 
the covenant seal. We're meant to be reminded of our baptistic identity. If you can picture with me when someone is baptized, I love the way we do it here. Goes into the water, dead to sin, buried with Christ. Raised again to new life through faith in him. That is our identity. That's who we are. Freed from death, bought with a price into victorious life. And then each week, we take what is referred to as a covenant renewal. Week in and week out, we come up and we take communion. And we remember that by Jesus' death, his given his body and his blood for us, we have life. And all throughout the week, we're told, we're, we're tempted to forget that, but we're invited to come and find life and to live victoriously out of the life we have in Christ. Let's pray together. Again, Jesus, um, thank you for the life we have in you. I don't know what you want to do or what you have done or what you are doing in each and every heart here, but I know every heart is so precious. Lord, I know that you see every thought every wound, every fear, every frustration, and you still say, come to me and I will give you rest. Come to me and I will give you life. You say, I don't, I don't condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Lord, will you empower us by your Holy Spirit to live victorious lives of grace-driven, grace-motivated obedience. Lord Jesus, let us find life in you and you alone.